Hello and welcome to this episode of Weird Flicks, but okay. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Eric. And this is our podcast where you can listen to us talk about movies. Today we'll be talking about hereditary director Ari Aster's sophomore film, Midsummer. What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> Welcome and happy midsummer. Unbelievable. <laughs> Let our feast commence. It's like they're trying to make it gross. What are they playing? Skin the fool. Skin the fool. So we're just gonna ignore the bed. It's a bear. Dude, of all the things to let me sleep through. That sounds fun. Um, it was just released last night, and naturally, it's one of our most anticipated films of the year, arguably, so we saw it immediately. Um, just a little bit about it if you don't know. So following a horrific family tragedy and in the midst of a flailing relationship, Danny, played by Florence Pugh, joins her boyfriend Christian, played by Jack Rayner, and his grad student friends on a trip to a remote location in Sweden, inhabited by a commune currently celebrating midsummer festivities. Initially, their customs and traditions feel alien, but quaint and benign. But it is soon realized that this educational endeavor is spiraling into a perverse and shocking display of mania. Danny's journey through grief and emotional isolation at the sight of her significant other are explored during the events that unfold. So there's a lot to talk about here. Yes. It's a lot to unpack. <laughs> Let's unpack this. Uh, we're each going to kind of give our general thoughts first and then we will get more in depth and talk about it a little bit more um but first eric what were your initial thoughts after the film okay so my thoughts on this movie uh huge expectations going into this uh hereditary was my favorite movie of last year may well maybe on par with mandy at least those were my two favorites um just an incredible debut film from someone um Ari Aster came right out of the gate seeming incredibly impressive incredibly competent uh super assured in what he was doing his vision and he's not afraid to talk about his references either which I really appreciated uh I, I hate when directors sort of over embellish their concept their own sense of originality because there's you know the, the stories have all been told, basically, so you just kind of have to do with that what you can. But Ari Aster is very... Wears his influences on the, you know, on the cuff of his wrist sleeve shirt, however you say that. And uh, he's... I think that makes him a much more honest director, and I think it makes his work no less substantial. Uh, I loved this movie. I think it was an incredible work of art. I think it was on par with Hereditary. It's still swimming in my head if I really prefer one or the other, but they're so different and also yet still so related as sort of companion pieces that I think I definitely fall in to enjoying them both for very different and very similar reasons, which is a very unique takeaway, I think. Uh, but these are very unique movies. I think Midsummer deals with 
a lot of very specific emotional experiences that you don't see as much in the horror genre. You tend to see them more in like comedies or rom-coms or things like that, but he channels it through this very specific lens that I feel like you've never seen it channeled through before. You know, he's he's doing like a breakup movie, but it's through the context of this horrific uh, ceremony, and it sort of uh, makes everything, all the weird things we do when we find ourselves again uh, after a breakup or whatever, uh, he, he really ritualizes those things, and he makes them look like you know, these these weird internal sacred moments that we have within ourselves uh, in that process. And I feel like it does such a great job of demonstrating that stuff. On top of that, as with Hereditary, I think his cinematography is impeccable. He does a great job of sort of not giving you any warning when you're about to see something horrific. Uh, he definitely gives build-up moments, and there's really no jump scares, but he does such an amazing job of just, you're just not ready to see something and you see it anyway. And I think this movie deals a lot with trauma and uh, there there's imagery you cannot escape uh, in trauma oftentimes. And I feel like that's something he tries to emphasize in his filmmaking and it really comes across really well. I definitely felt like a sense of trauma was being conveyed to me. And a lot of the imagery, I think, will stay with me for a long time. So in that sense, it's a lot like trauma, um, even though I loved it as I was watching it. You know, in the sense that I loved being truly disturbed, I think that that's um, the job of a great director. In addition to him, you know, any any director can, like, make a horror movie. And, and I think there's uh, sort of generic... Uh, moves that horror movie directors can make to get through that but he did such a great job of showing that in a unique way and having it be meaningful to the story as well and I think compelling to like the greater uh, mythos and ethos of the story as well to make us feel something in particular and not just show us shock for no reason um, I think there was a real purpose to the things he was doing the fact, too, that the movie is almost entirely just pure daylight, like no shadows, nothing hidden. I think that's super unique in a horror movie. Um, so often, you know, the darkness is what makes us, it like emphasizes the fear for us because we're programmed to fear the unknown and the dark hides things. But in the light, there's just no hiding from any of it. It's all so open and shocking. And I think... Um, Part of, you know, the movie is about sort of confronting one's uh, feelings about those things and also not, even just culturally, not hiding from the darker parts of ourselves. And I think, in a, in a sense, I think that there's something maybe valuable to be gained from what they learn from this commune or what they see in this commune, even if it is horrific to us as, you know, modern Western people. Um, I think that listening to what they're actually saying, there's at least something to be taken away from it. Um, the cinematography was stunning, uh, as was Hereditary. Just beautiful shots, beautiful landscapes. I mean, you know, Sweden's an amazing-looking place, and I think 
it really shows it off in this movie. And there's really also interesting, very subtle manipulations of natural photography uh, for the sake of showing the effects of mind-influencing drugs, which that is like, it seems like a, a pretty prevalent thing throughout the, the movie is the manipulation of the natural image and in order to, for these people to like be closer to nature, I think we get a lot more, uh, we get that visually as well. And I think that's super compelling visually because it immerses you in like what they're actually going through and what they're feeling and less of like an objective sober person watching it. It feels like you're supposed to be a part of the mania that's within the story. Yeah, performances were awesome. Danny, the character Danny, was portrayed with such incredible... It seems so naturalistic, uh, so effortless uh, on the part of Florence Pugh. There's like... I can't believe she's a, a British actress. Her accent is impeccable. Um, just like flawless performances all around. I think her her job was so... That's a difficult thing, I think, to be so exposed and so emotionally intense and to make it seem natural. I feel like that's a huge task. And then to do all of that in a different accent is just incredible. I think she did such an incredible job. Her face, you know, I think she's very pretty, but her face is also just so interesting the way that we see it so much in stages of grief in this movie and, and hear her voice, uh, completely like unrestrained uh, expressions of grief and pain. I think that's all just so, so compelling to me, um, knowing that she wasn't even doing all of this in her native accent. So incredible. Uh, yeah, I just think the story was excellent, had like a crazy, uh, very evocative of hereditary type ending. The uh, score was... It had this very sublime quality to it. It was, it made everything feel very ethereal, as if you were like, you know, passing between existences or something, and you were between the normal world and something high, some higher plane of existence. There's definitely a vibe the whole time of, of, there's something supernatural lurking underneath, and I think the the score so successfully conveys a feeling of like this is not this is not a horror show to the people who are conducting this ceremony this is perfectly natural and it's a beautiful thing and they're enjoying it and i think we're getting a very honest sort of conveyance of like what the music i think expresses what they're feeling more than what the guests who are our eyes into the ceremony are feeling but i think it completely properly conveyed just the sort of sublime state of this entire ceremony. It just all felt very, very confident and very well composed. Uh, the score with everything else, everything felt so perfectly realized. Um, the writing I think was really excellent. Like it was very natural where it needed to be, but it was dealing with very heady and surreal concepts. And I think it all worked together really well. Yeah, all in all, huge fan. Love the movie. That's my takeaway. Yeah, so not so surprisingly, I think we are pretty much on the same page. I absolutely 
loved this movie. What an absolute trip the entire time this was to watch. I was, like you said too, a big fan of Hereditary, um, Ari Aster's sort of debut film from last year. And I think there was some concern that he might fall into that sophomore slump. Maybe his follow-up wouldn't be as good or wouldn't live up to the hype. And there is a lot of hype uh, that goes has gone with this movie. I think the best way to go into it is without expectations, uh, ex especially if you are expecting a traditional horror movie. This is not that. <laughs> uh, it's a brightly lit, genre-bending folk horror film uh, that was about a lot of things. It was a breakup movie. It had these elements of grief, uh, which Hereditary did as well, so they have that in common. And it's all taking place in the setting of these horrific series of events that unfold again in the light of day, which is probably one of the more unique aspects of this movie, uh, especially with it having kind of that horror tag on it. You don't expect all these pastel colors and these just bright whites. It's not, it's not dark at all. Uh, and there are no jump scares, which I loved also. <laughs> uh, and it was surprisingly comedic at points, which I think worked really well in certain parts of the film. Uh, it didn't really take you out of this uneasiness at all, so it kind of meshed really well together, I thought. Um, it was so well acted. Florence Pugh is hypnotizing. I couldn't keep my eyes off her. I was so interested in everything she was doing and everything she was feeling, and there was a lot of feeling going on. <laughs> um, the cinematography was also amazing. So many great shots there. You could take so many stills from that movie. That would be a standalone kind of beautiful piece in and of itself. The score was haunting and powerful. It made me feel uneasy throughout the entire film, which was sort of a constant anyway. The entire film wasn't maybe scary so much as it was just unsettling and there was so much tension the entire time you were watching it. So yeah, I loved this movie, but I also don't know if I would recommend it to everyone. I think everyone will get something out of it, whether that's, oh my god, I love that, that was such a trip, or if it's, what the hell did I just watch? But overall, I think that this was a win. So now uh, we have to give a bit of a spoiler warning, because we're about to delve much more in-depth into the uh, concept of this movie and the things that happen within it that you wouldn't want to know going into it uh, if you haven't seen it already. Um, this is for people who have already seen it and would like to just have more of an in-depth conversation about it. So the movie starts with... They haven't gone to Sweden yet. They're still in the U.S. And the character of Danny, she is having sort of a crisis because her sister, who is bipolar, has left her sort of a cryptic message. This isn't the first time it's happened, but then she's gone dark. She's disappeared from social media, and Danny is uh, really scared for her. Um, even though this isn't the first time it's happened, Danny definitely has a lot of concerns about what this might mean and what's happened, so she calls her parents... No answer there. No answer there. And uh, she tries to talk to her boyfriend, Christian, who is 
out with friends, just mm-hmm. having a night, and uh, his reaction is not exactly, it's not fully callous, but it definitely seems like he's checked out a bit. It's very dismissive. Yeah. I think it's because, I don't know, I think he has thinks he's heard this before, oh, it's more drama with the sister, oh, Danny needs to lean on me again for emotional support is sort of what he's thinking and he's treating it as more of a nuisance yeah kind of oh my girlfriend's calling it's her again um and his friends kind of feed into that too sort of edging him on to kind of break it off already yeah he we get a lot actually i think the movie does a great job of conveying like a lot of information about their relationship as it's already been in a very short amount of time yeah i think so um we basically get very quickly we learn that they've been together for a few years now and uh which a little bit later in the movie we we hear them not quite agree on how long it's been right which i think is another breakdown in maybe his investment in the relationship that he doesn't remember the details of it um he's been checked out for a while it would seem and that's sort of the picture that's painted for us in the beginning um also i think that we've all seen relationships like this or maybe you've been the guy sitting at the table like oh come on break up with her already this isn't working or you've been the girl in the situation oh i'm probably leaning on him too much i have a feeling he's not feeling this anymore which we kind of we go back to danny and she calls her boyfriend on the phone and is you know expressing her concerns about this cryptic message that her sister left and it's this close-up of her face and she's crying uh but it's not i don't think it's very obvious by her voice but we see her kind of struggling and we see it in her facial expressions and i actually really loved this part the up close, um, and I think you mentioned earlier yeah. her facial expressions as she goes through grief and kind of sorrow and whatnot. Yeah. Um, this is sort of our first real look at that here, and it's subtle but not so subtle. I just I really liked this part too. Yeah, no, I think there was that acting was so incredible because, again, in a foreign accent and flawlessly, she's expressing uh, a suppressed sort of anxiety and fear she we are seeing her suppress sort of crying and all these outward emotions as she's trying to sound normal to her boyfriend on the phone so as not to sound needy or emotionally unstable or whatever else she worries that he's thinking about her right she's trying to look for support without seeming too needy yeah and i think that definitely speaks to uh the way that their relationship has been for a long time because it's clear that she is so afraid of loss. Um, She, as soon as it seems like she's maybe pushing Christian too far, she immediately uh, turns the conversation around into it being a fault of hers and, and just begging him to stay and not go. Um, I think that that's some, that's a very real thing. Um, right. He, he kind of tricks her into being dismissive of her own feelings. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some gaslighting going on. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And that kind of becomes more and more prevalent, but this is sort of our first glimpse at it. Uh, but he eventually has her agreeing, you're right, you're right, it's nothing to worry about. I just needed to be told again that I'm you know, overreacting. Yeah. And I think that this sort of 
um, emotional woman kind of trope is yeah. being kind of exploited here. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're still, I don't want to say on Danny's side, but we can sympathize with her. We see kind of her point of view. And to me, it doesn't look crazy. No, no, no. It doesn't look crazy. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, the movie does a good job because I think if you're in that situation and you think about, well, let me let me think about having been Christian in this situation for three years how many times has there been a crisis, quote-unquote, regarding her sister in, like, an episode or something? Mm -hmm. Her sister, who is bipolar, clearly goes through moments of instability in her life. And, um, and you get, from Christian's perspective, maybe if he was never even looking for something that serious in the first place, um, maybe it makes sense that he feels bogged down and checked out from this relationship because it was it's this whole level of drama that maybe he never really wanted to be a part of and maybe he's not happy anymore but he thinks that it's his responsibility uh he thinks that the right thing to do is to stick it out even if it means he's unhappy and he's therefore making her more unhappy um but that's obviously not the healthy way to go about this right and he I think he thinks he needs to be there for her, but he's actually not really there for her. Exactly. Especially yeah. in the way that she needs. So he's kind of been stuck in this relationship, and I think he's afraid to end it or looking for, like, a real reason to end it. Yeah. But he just won't. And then we get this news. Uh, Danny calls him back a second time and tells him what she just found out, which is that her sister killed herself and her parents. Yep. So now we have... That's a stunning scene, too, yeah. by the way. Like, seeing the firefighters oh, yeah. go into the house, and you see the way that her sister, like, fed the exhaust from the cars in the garage up a, into a hose into her own mouth. Super, super in intense and crazy. And it starts, it's so eerie, and then it just gradually becomes more and more horrific. And horrific. There's this, there's this one shot that's sort of tracking the whole thing through the house, and then it ends on her computer, the sister's computer, displaying the unread messages from Danny, who was trying to reach out to her. And we had been seeing up to this point the messages lingering on Danny's screen, unread, and then. We see it from the other side. I thought that was a really awesome uh, visual representation of, of everything that had happened. But then also, during that scene, we cut to Danny experiencing this incredible trauma mm -hmm. and being held by Christian and, and moaning and crying and right. in full grief mode. Right. Uh, and once again, he's there, and I think he thinks that, you know, being there and holding her is... I don't know, the right thing to do, and it's enough, and he thinks, I'm a good guy for doing this, but obviously, that's not working. Yeah, it's, well, it's clearly not enough. Right. It Maybe in that moment, mm -hmm. it was all he could do, but it's not going to fix what was already destined for failure. Right, and he now feels more trapped yeah. than ever before. Yeah. So, yeah, the next thing we see is uh, a little bit down the road. Um, you know, she's... Danny's gotten past a certain level of the trauma that she's faced, but 
um, it's it's not gone from her mind by any extent, but she's clearly passed like that initial shock phase, um, and she sort of finds out inadvertently that uh, Christian was planning to take this trip to Sweden with his uh, guy friends, um, and he hadn't told her. And she sort of found out about it accidentally at a party when they brought it up. Yeah, and he kind of danced around it, too. (laughs) Yeah. And that actually, I think, was another very open moment of gaslighting. Absolutely. When they return from the party and she's trying to express that she just wishes uh, he had discussed with her the plan in the first place since he'd already bought a ticket and everything, and he'd never even brought it up. Um. In a very reasonable manner, too, I yeah. think. Yeah, I she mean, wasn't being outrageous. I think No, I don't think so. And I think that anybody, you know, if they're standing in a party and they find out that their partner is, you know, leaving on two weeks for this extended trip or vacation, they might have some questions, too. Yeah, it's pretty reasonable, I think, in most balanced and intimate relationships that that is something that you hear about from your partner or at least before they've already bought a ticket or right. something. And instead of sort of hearing what she has to say, and he kind of tries to explain it away at first, and then he goes right to, oh, I should go. I'm going to leave. His uh, first reaction is kind of just to bail. Yeah, to peace out on the conversation. Right. But she wants to continue talking about it. Anyways, uh, like you were saying, this is like a really good example of why this relationship is not good. Yeah. For either of them and a good example of gaslighting. Yeah, and so when he does that, she immediately says, it's my fault, I didn't mean to do this, I'm sorry that this happened. He even said sorry, like in a questioning way in the conversation, and she's like, that's not really an apology. Um, but then she offers a sincere apology just to make him stay and not just walk out of the conversation they're having. Right. She wants to avoid the conflict, yeah. essentially. And Honestly. and not even avoid the conflict. I think she feels herself losing him. Yeah. And she she feels herself... I think she's blaming herself because of the complexity of her life, her emotional baggage and all this stuff. She's blaming herself for his unhappiness. So the instant that it seems like she's a burden the whole conversation flips to her feeling guilty and all this stuff, which is obviously very unhealthy and not going to make anyone happy in a relationship. Um, Right. And it's also already so fragile. She can tell that he doesn't want to be in this. I mean, he doesn't have to say it for you to... Yeah, I mean, he's, he's despondent. He's checked out. He's He barely wants to talk. You can tell he's like antsy to leave right she's no dummy yeah (laughs) um there are a lot of of uh body language cues i think happening in addition to just the what they're saying it's just a really naturally acted scene it sounds like a very real sort of conversation slash argument um and great on both their parts i don't want to underplay his acting too i think he does a really good job as this type of person um and not even just a type I shouldn't say a type of person. I feel like that's unfair. He's a person who's been pushed to a point because of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to completely vilify him, but he's definitely No, I making, don't think so either, but I do think who he is as a person... Has become something in, bad. Because yeah, of well, I also think it's influencing his choices. Yeah. 
Um, it's hard because I don't want to vilify him either, but... Yeah, I mean, I think the the point is that I think you would naturally probably sympathize with her more than him because I think that the relationship, the path of the relationship has led him to a point of being less empathic of a person and maybe more self-centered because he thinks he's spending so much time sacrificing for her and that's already like not really a feeling you should have yeah very true um so it's just a big old toxic relationship (laughs) yeah so it's no bueno and uh these scenes are really key in sort of setting up our understanding of their relationship which is important yeah going towards through the rest of the film i do want to say i think that the family tragedy portion of it I think it's important because it sets up, uh, you know, the themes of grief, and it's really important towards her character. But we don't really revisit it. It seems kind of, I don't want to say irrelevant, because it's not. Mm -hmm. It's relevant to the character development, but as far as the story goes, we don't really get much more out of it than, than that. Yeah, it disappears for a while. I think that it, it exists... To an extent, I think it exists as a um, a point of at which people are defining her by that, and she believes people are defining her by that, and I think that that's it's important that it happened because yes. her character she realizes that she's externally being considered the girl who went through that thing, and right. like everyone thinks of her as a victim and the recipient of, of trauma and they don't just think about her as a person um the way they do with other people so even the fact that she like goes on this trip i think was um an act of like sympathy from the from her boyfriend and, and uh his friends that they would all like accept her being there mm-hmm. sort of as a last minute thing because again as a terrible communicator he didn't Christian didn't tell his own friends that she was coming on the trip. And when he did tell them, it was extremely last minute, and he said she's not actually coming. And then she did actually come. So um, I think we've all been there with, like, a person doing that kind of thing, and we know what that looks like. Um, And it was very... Whether or not they were, like, in our relationship, just a friend or anything. Like, for the love of God, do not invite me (laughs) if you don't want me there. Yeah, yeah, please, like... (laughs) Don't do it out of sympathy. That's not... No one wants that. Nobody wants that. So, but he does. And uh, I think it's because of everything she went through and he didn't want her to feel excluded. He's making efforts, but I think they're very shallow efforts. And they're the wrong efforts. And they're the wrong efforts. Instead of, like, staying home with her or um, just being more receptive to, like, her feelings about things, he decides to just keep living his own life. And being like, you can tag along if you want. Right. I'm going to go do this stuff. I think he justifies sort of the relationship with these little band-aids he keeps putting on. Yeah. Um, and he kind of justifies it to himself that he's a good boyfriend because he's doing this. Right. Yeah, he's he's convincing himself mm-hmm. that he's, he's the good guy in this situation. Um, and I get it. I mean, like, not everyone is emotionally receptive enough to know that, like, these are the wrong ways to do things. It's just that... Um, if you are in or have been in an emotionally receptive relationship, I think it's clear to see that he's incapable of sort of digging to the real issue. 
Yeah, and it's just so hard to watch because then we see Danny constantly sort of compromising and talking herself out of her own feelings and dismissing her own sort of wants and needs to kind of fulfill what she thinks he needs. Yeah. Uh, like later on, uh, she doesn't want to... They get to the commune and she doesn't want to take these drugs right away that they're offered and him and his friends kind of take them and she sort of haphazardly gets talked into doing it anyway and she's just constantly making yeah in an effort to appease the group right exactly she she accepts taking them before she's ready and these are mind-altering substances it's not the kind of thing you want to dive into if you're in a bad state of mind you should definitely feel comfortable and around positive energy and all this stuff before you you know take shrooms or something or acid or anything like that and um she she is forced into a situation where she isn't ready to do that, but she does it anyway because she thinks it'll make everyone happy if I just do this and she doesn't want to be a burden again, which is, I think, something she always feels like, which is perfectly natural because her Christian, uh, I think, whether or not he means to, makes her feel like one anyway. And then uh, Christian's friends are super passive-aggressive, I think, about her even being there. Like. Right. And they're also getting Christian's sort of side of things. Yeah. They're getting the annoying girlfriend side, the needy one, the emotional woman thing, which yeah. I just hate. I oh, hate it's that. terrible. I mean, I think, like, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but one of Christian's friends, the extra crappy one. Right. Um, <laughs> he definitely is, like, the kind of person that I avoid at all costs in my life. Um, and he, it's not that Christian is like just giving in to what he's saying, but he's probably been saying these things for years now. And I'm sure it's like wearing on Christian's right. psyche that like he has people around him saying, you know, he's either has this guy telling him he's being an idiot and he should find a girl who wants to have sex or he's having another friend psychoanalyze him and tell him that he's, like, doing it because he's a masochist and <laughs> he wants to... He, he thinks he doesn't deserve better or he enjoys the feeling of being subjugated in a relationship or whatever, being, like, yoked to something that he doesn't actually want. And that's just not, you know, that's none of that's good. No one's really giving him, like, clear advice except, you know, that he should... Uh, figure out what he actually wants and, right. and either move on or become a more attentive boyfriend or whatever. Exactly. And you can kind of see why some people are referring to this as a breakup movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of funny how Hereditary was often referred to as, although it's a horror, it's a, at its core a family drama. Yeah, it's a family drama. Yeah. And so, much like The Witch was, too, I think. There's family drama. Yeah, there's a great argument for that, absolutely. And and Hereditary, I think, absolutely is a, a family drama. And then Ari Aster just makes things way more fun by making it a supernatural horror movie right. about witches. Exactly. And then we have Midsummer, which is a breakup movie. Yeah. Slash movie about grief. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that that's sort of... I think the breakup, the relationship, is sort of in the forefront. And uh, from what I understand as well, he wrote this movie, uh, Ari Aster, that is, wrote this movie right after a breakup, and mm. he wanted to sort of convey um, the catastrophic feeling that 
kind of ensues afterwards. And um, this is a good sort of point to go to where they get to the commune. Yeah. Which, because yeah. catastrophic is a kind of a good way to explain how this trip goes for them. Yeah. I think on all levels, too. It's like, um, even just thinking about it as, like, a vacation that no one wants to be on, it definitely has the vibe of, like, a bunch of people who went on a camping trip together and found out they actually all hate each other. Like, right. it has that feeling at its core, which I think is often that is conveyed it through film anyway i think that's usually conveyed as a comedy so i think there's a reason this movie is comedic and i think it's because it's pulling on tropes from other genres and then it's like just putting them into a general horror thing um but yeah there's so they get to the commune Mm -hmm. um and uh, one of the people at the commune is actually one of the people that they traveled with. Uh, he's a Swedish friend of theirs. That Yeah, they all met in grad school. They all met in grad school. Um, and he is from this commune. This is his uh, family. Yeah. Uh, is it? Can we call it a cult? I think that that's safe. It's very uh, cultish. It's, I don't really think anything looks more cultish than this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's um, they call it a commune. Right. We can call it a cult. If anything is a cult, this right. is a cult. I think cults usually don't call themselves cults. Yeah, I think people don't like calling themselves cults. <laughs> no, I don't think anymore. so. It has a negative connotation. Yeah. We don't um, use that word here. Right. <laughs> but yeah, they, they're they a cult. Yeah. Um, for sure. Right. And this festivity that they're undergoing, this, this festival is... Something that only they, I think they do it more regularly, but the this version of it only occurs every ninety years. Right. This um, is sort of like the uh, the amped up version of this year yeah. festival, I guess. It's based on I think what the moon and there, yeah, there's the, something about the summer solstice and the yeah the length of this of the summer solstice, like the, the how long it is or something. Right. Um. So because so of astronomical things. This is a particularly special version of right. Midsummer. And they are all making preparations for this very specific celebration. Yes. <laughs> and and also, it should be noted, I think, that uh, Pelle, is that his name? The Swedish? Pelle? 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 Something like that? Yes, um, that's close anyway. Which I think actually is the name of a... Uh, Norse god, um, but I'm like a fertility god or something. Uh, I'm forgetting. I don't want to, don't quote me. Um, <laughs> but the the friend who invited them, who was from this commune, did a horrible job of explaining what this was. Yeah, um, they had no idea what they were getting into. They had no into. idea what they were getting into, and I think it was probably very intentional. It was sort of a lure. Um, right, I think they thought they were going to like a Swedish version of Burning Man or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this was not that. And this was Wicker Man instead. Right, right, Wicker um, Man instead. So, yeah, there's there's definitely uh, a vibe of like, oh, we're just going for this festival thing. Um, it should be really fun and definitely really interesting. And because uh, some of the kids going were like anthro students. Right, so they wanted to like be immersed into the culture. Yeah, and they wanted to use... I mean, one of them had already said that he was uh, writing his thesis on midsummer ceremonies. Yeah. um, Cross-cultural. And so he was going to use this for his thesis. Um, So there's a a slant of, like, the kids are trying to learn something from this process as well. 
And they certainly do get immersed into their culture. Yeah, certainly <laughs> do. Um, it's, it's a crazy ride once they get there. Uh, because of the time of year and where they are, uh, there's actually almost no nighttime, as in darkness. Um, it just sort of looks like it's always daytime. Right, which um, is very disorienting. Very disorienting. It never really talks about them having jet lag, but I imagine the two together would be extremely disorienting. Sure, and then couple that with the drugs, which yeah, and they're immediately take taking mind-inducing substances. Um, so there's a whole lot of I think psychic manipulation happening to these people already right out of the gate um, before they even get to like the way that these people live their lives in this commune. Yeah, and I cult. I think I almost felt psychologically manipulated. Like, not yeah. really, but yeah, yeah. Um, the slow burn kind of pace of this movie yeah. kind of drags you in, and before you know it, you're, like, on this weird ride that you didn't know you really signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's very interesting. It's super, super interesting and really, I think, original in, like... The whole premise. Very. You know, we've seen movies about, like, pagan ritual communities that, like Wicker Man, for example. Movies about these, like, ritualistic subcultures within, within, like, a modern country that are, like, secret and have really dark, perverse traditions. Um, And in that sense, this is, like, continuing on that line of inheritance of those movies but I think it does such a different thing because it's not about like an inspector going in to like find about a murder it's just about a group of students who are going on this trip for various personal reasons yeah I will say I'm kind of surprised they didn't catch on more quickly especially (laughs) I know (laughs) well um oh gosh what's his name he plays Cheaty in a Oh yeah. Place. Um the guy who plays Cheaty. Yeah, yeah, I, I hate to refer to him as that. Yeah. But uh he was kind of well versed in these kind of things and he even so when they first get there or not too late afterwards um they go and view sort of their first ritual and it's the elders essentially jumping off a cliff. Yeah. I mean in short. <laughs> that's yeah. what it is. And he has a specific name for it, um, and Pele mentions the night before, and um, his friend is kind of asking, oh, are you actually doing that? So he clearly knows what yeah, that knows is. Or at least he knows the concept. I don't right. know if he knows it's going to be the real thing. Right. He asks how literal it was, and Pele says, oh, it's pretty, pretty literal. Like, yeah. It is what it is. So I'm just, I guess I'm surprised he didn't question that more, or maybe even discuss it with his other friends yeah it seems like he didn't want them to know i mean i i, yeah. I got the vibe of like he thought this was a ritual best best seen without context or right without warning um which is not outrageous for an anthropologist to think i think they definitely are a unique breed and they find value in observing uh cultures and traditions without any sort of westernized uh placement over what it means or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's they, fair. They try to, to experience it in its rawest form. So in that sense, I think I understand why he didn't uh, explain to them what it means. They tried to 
wiki it in the movie and nothing yeah yeah uh, they have no signal signal. of course that was a nice moment i think because it was kind of funny that he tried to wiki what the right was and also because yeah and also because it's indicating there's no one no one's gonna know they're there um it sort of serves both purposes Mm -hmm. um in that moment but uh pilla had jokingly the he was talking about life cycles in a scene before this and um they were saying uh you know there are basically like three stages to life that are like mm-hmm. um your first what is it 12 uh um like eight oh gosh i know 18 18 to 36 was one of was one of them is spring and then yeah. uh 18 to 36 is summer and then th- 36 to 70 54 to 54 is fall, which is like where you're a worker, because during the summer time is when you go on like a pilgrimage and you right. and you and you, you bring back people to terrorize. Apparently, at your you weird bring back people to rituals. Yeah, to become <laughs> your victims. Um, and then right, the sixty-four to what is it seventy? No, fifty-four it's, to seventy-two. Seventy-two is the fall, where it's you're fall. like just a worker for the place. Mm-hmm. And then seventy-two, he's like, "What comes after 72? And he just makes this joking like cutting the throat kind of right you die like indicating just you're done after you're dead that. yeah and, uh, and i think out they all are. thought oh that's that's funny or whatever but he meant uh, in this culture you're you don't exist past that point right so they literally uh so the ceremony is that these old these two elders who mm-hmm. are of that age uh willingly jump off a cliff um in order to end their lives sort of on their own terms. Um, and there's another, we should mention, there's another couple ex- external to the commune that's uh, in this group, um, a British couple, and they are shocked and appalled at the ceremony. Yeah, they, they have, have a very, very vocal reaction. Yeah. And the um, sort of leaders of the commune try to calm them down and explain, this is our culture, we find it beautiful that we end our lives on our own terms and um, we don't let like old age and disease and right. stuff take us and live uncomfortably. I don't think that really helped their understanding. They weren't, they weren't receptive. They were not receptive yeah. still. Um, and you do fully see these two people like smash into the rocks. Yeah, and I think that's, that's definitely one of the most shocking scenes it in the It was. Movie. And it also leads me to kind of discuss a little bit how, while this isn't a typical horror movie, I still do think it had some typical horror tropes. Mm -hmm. Like, we had the disposable characters. I mean, um, Christian's, like, dickhead friend. I could tell right away he had, you know... Oh, he's gonna die. Gonna die, written on his forehead. He had had that typical personality. Um, And then a lot of body horror here. A lot of body horror. Um... And there was some of that in Hereditary, too. Mm-hmm. I think based on seeing Hereditary, I knew we were going to see some some dark stuff. Um, I assumed, especially where it's so brightly lit and yeah. they don't have shadows and the unknown. So instead, they're going to show us everything outright, yeah. full light. We're going to see it. Um, Just openly gruesome <laughs> stuff. And the two elders jumping off the cliff was definitely horrific. Um it's sort of filmed in two different ways at the same time. Like there's, we're getting horrific close-up shots, and then we're getting these like really 
I think equally disturbing like dispassionate far shots mm-hmm. like long shots of yes. them falling and it just making like the smallest little thud of a body hitting the ground but then you see it up close and mm-hmm. it's like so horrific and then they well, just smash his face with a hammer and yeah. you can fully see it so the man survives the the fall it's apparently not horrifying a, he he does like a uh an arrow dive down instead of like falling spread eagle the way the woman does right, he goes feet first he goes feet first and his legs are shattered Ooh. and he's still alive and at the beginning of the ceremony we see a man holding a giant mallet and i was like well that can't be good and then <laughs> we see what it's used for which is apparently to like help the execution of these people so as he's still alive they walk over the mallet and they crush his face and actually three people take turns crushing his face which makes me think even that is like a ceremony right exactly of the, of the process. in and of itself um maybe they feel like they're contributing to his passing and the alleviation of his pain even though clearly the first mallet blow killed him right um but you know you're you're seeing essentially the disfiguration of these people um in broad daylight and it's horrible and shocking um but also super compelling. And I think that the reaction of the outsiders watching it is really cool. Um, Yeah. Well, this is an important turning point too, because up until then, I mean, it's been kind of creepy. You know, they're thinking these customs are a little bit weird, but it's not anything necessarily to worry about. And then they witness this and it's sort of the first like, whoa, where are we? What's going on? What have we gotten ourselves into? And, the uh, leaders, I guess, of the commune explain it away, and they do it in in a way that's very calm and natural, like, oh, I understand why you're feeling this way, but listen to why we do this. Yeah. And it... Makes sense. ...kind of works. Yeah. They stay, you know, they yeah, have yeah. a lot of questions, but they right. stay to hang out. They're there for a, for a time. And to the anthro people, it, I think it's making it all the more interesting. Yes. Which has its own sense of voyeuristic perversion, I think, that they're so excited to watch this violence because it's such an extreme cultural phenomenon and it means for them like a moral prophet um, Mm -hmm. or like a, you know, like a philosophical prophet of some kind. Um, Prophet is in making money, not prophet is in prophetic. Um, But the, you know, for Danny, who is not an anthro student, She's just like, I don't know why I'm here. This is so weird and horrifying. Mm-hmm. And um, it's Pella that ends up sort of having an argument or a conversation where he convinces her uh, that she should be here. And he specifically was really happy that she came. And then he has this really weird moment where he's like, oh, I'm, I'm technically an orphan. Like, my parents died when I was young and I was taken in by the commune. I think he is thinking this will compel her to feel comfort in this group. Right, a sense of connection, which is also what he's trying to sell to her. He's trying to tell her, you know, I have this family. Even though my parents died, I have these people to hold me up, support me. Um, And she is clearly lacking all of those things right now, even being there with her boyfriend. So he's sort of appealing to what she needs. And it kind of works. Yeah, it does. I, there's a lot of, like, luring people in in convincing ways, too. I think, like, when they first arrive at the festival, 
one of the group leaders is, you know, they comment on his outfit. Someone says, like, I love your whatever. And he's like, oh, my frock. Yeah, it's very feminine or something. And then he and then he makes this very, like, understanding statement about, like, yes, it looks very frilly and silly by today's standards. Um, but, you know, we're trying to express, like, the um, sort of gender-bending aspect of their, their Yeah, they're beliefs. trying to relate to them while also kind of selling. Yeah, what and it they sounds are. it sounds very convincing. Like he sounds like someone who's like, "I know this is all very silly and showy, but he's clearly hiding like a much deeper menace because I don't think he would just easily sort of try to explain away the elders dying the same right. way that he did his outfit." But sure. He didn't have to show that yet. So they 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 see the ceremony in waves and it allows them to I think that that's what compels them to stay, is that, like, it's not just all hit at once. Like, they reach it in waves, and, you know, they're already under the influence of mind-altering substances. Um, and, as we said, probably hit by um, travel fatigue and super disoriented by the light. So, there's a lot going on, but I think the idea that they're being convinced to stay is not an outrageous one based on like the way the story no, you goes kind and of, the motivations of the ki- of the students going. Yeah, and you can kind of see it happen as you slowly fall into it with them. Um, but also kind of moving ahead to uh, these Americans slash outsiders that are here kind of one by one start to disappear. And their disappearances themselves are explained away in a way that seems legitimate. Relatively um, speaking. Relatively. Yeah. So I think they... as an audience member, we know we shouldn't oh, be trusting this. Absolutely, but we know. <laughs> for them, in in the situation, it's like, sure, why would I put up a huge fuss? Right. And I'm sure they probably don't want to believe anything nefarious is necessarily happening. Yeah. But as it happens, it is. So these people are disappearing and... uh They've been killed. <laughs> yes. They're secretly getting sort of ritualistically murdered. Right. Until we're just left with Danny and Christian. Yeah. And it seems like Danny starts the whole thing as an outsider, but the more the movie goes on, it's showing her, I think, being more and more indoctrinated into. The process of yeah. what's happening. She's sort of integrating. She's integrating, and uh, at the by the sort of climax of the movie, she's actually become the next May Queen, which is like the one, the uh, avatar. Of, of right, whole, one of their most important festival traditions. Yeah, um, which she's like the physical manifestation of. The whole celebration and like the the aspect of fertility and all this stuff. Yeah, and I really love that scene too, where they're dancing around. Is it a mayday pole or, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah that yeah. thing. Um, in the competition to become the May Queen, I really like the camera work there and all the close ups on her. Yeah. And I think this is where she's like slowly progressing to. I don't know. Once she wins, it's like she feels important again. She's feeling this community a little bit more. Yeah. She's not only that, but she's being elevated immensely. Like, yes. She's she's got this state of community. She's finding connection with these people, 
And then by the end of it, she actually wins the ceremony and becomes the May Queen. So it's actually like she's being raised up by everyone. Like, she's the most important thing in this whole ceremony. Right. Um, And also, during that ceremony, she is given some drugs. Christian is given some drugs. Um, And I just really quickly wanted to say, too, how I love the depiction of how their being high feels or um, how they're kind of seeing the world around them and how they're feeling. It's not in this over-exaggerated traditional way where there's like unicorns like running around in the field. It's like uh, grass is growing through your feet and you're feeling kind of one with the earth and all these weird things. And there's, they don't. The landscape is sort of moving. Yeah. And they don't move away from that right away. They don't, show you oh we're high now and like it continues throughout that entire last sequence you can see certain things kind of pulsating like the flowers in her hat yeah at first i had was like kind of questioning it i said i was thinking like oh are those flowers moving it's subtle enough <laughs> that you're not sure what you're seeing yeah. yeah there's also i don't know if you picked it up but there's a scene where she's being brought from the ceremony um the maypole ceremony to the table where they feast and there's, like, a woman's face in the foliage behind them. Like Oh, I don't think I did pick that up. Yeah, there's, like, this, like, the trees had, like, formed into a woman's face in Ooh, the background. okay. Super subtle. Like, yeah. they don't draw attention to it. It's not the focus of the shot. It, the shot is her, and then you just see that in the I background. was probably still staring at the flowers trying to yeah. <laughs> determine if they were moving or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, There's so I, much to look at. Yeah, we're, like, on this drug trip with them. Exactly. And I think, um... Yeah, it's a it's a really great visual representation of like the effects of hallucinogenics on the brain. Yes. Um, for the purposes of storytelling, it's not just for right. no reason. Um, and I think it definitely plays into just the idea in general that like this manipulation is pushing them down a path too of of what they're doing and right. their acceptance of what's happening. Yes. Yeah, at this point, we know things are rapidly progressing and it's going to come kind of to a head. And uh, Christian is seemingly a little more distraught, whereas Danny is kind of happy and riding this high out. Christian is not having a good trip. Yeah. <laughs> and he's being coerced. Yeah, the, the whole movie is sort of is showing that there is a girl who has just become of age in the commune who is sort of systematically trying to compel Christian to... To mate with her. To mate with her and create offspring. So while Danny is going through this whole thing of, like, winning the ceremony and everything... And we see a very specific shot, too, where everyone, when she wins, everyone is like giving her the jazz hands of congratulations and except Christian. Christian is not even looking at her. He's right. uh, obviously he's going through his own process. He's having a bad trip. Yeah. But he's not paying attention to her uh, victory as it were, right. her accomplishment. And throughout their stay here at this commune, I think she's kind of waking up more and more to how bad basically of a boyfriend Christian is for her and while she's getting this support on one end from the commune, she's seeing more and more the ways that he does not support her. Yeah. And towards the end here, it's becoming 
very aggressively apparent. Yeah. Uh, like you said, with the lack of celebration for her. And then I guess we can get right to kind of the end. He yeah. does end up following this girl who has been trying to mate with him. And he kind of stumbles in to this building. And it's essentially a, another kind of ceremony. Yeah. Where he has to deflower her. Yeah. And he does. In the, in the, under the eye of all the women. Yes. Like, all the women are there and they're naked. Yeah. Um, and they're watching. And this is a crazy scene it's too. It's actually a great scene, I think, because there's this, you, you can see the commune does this very specific thing where they adopt the emotion and the, mm-hmm. and the breathing pattern and stuff of certain people in the community. So like the May queen obviously is so important. And, um, this moment obviously is really important for them too. So, uh, he's made to sort of deflower her in this moment and all the women are there to watch and even touch and comfort both of them like while they're doing it and it's super weird to him but he still is like compelled by yeah and that that was weird too it's like he's compelled but he's also confused yeah i almost felt sympathetic well yeah i think you're i think you're made to feel because like he doesn't it's like he's not in control of his incredibly lucid yeah yeah and uh you would imagine a sober christian would never do that but this would be a huge what the fuck yeah 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 (laughs) He's he's incredibly, um, I think, coerced by everything that's happened over the past several days, and he's like, you know, he just he just goes with it. It's it, in a weird. It, it doesn't seem like his mind is willing, but his body is just like on rails basically. And he, right. And he does this thing, and I think he's even sort of traumatized by it as he's doing as it. As he's doing it, yeah. Um, but at the same time, Danny, who was being like whisked away to another place for the May Queen hears what's happening she hears the ceremony because the women are like breathing with the the like sexual breathing yeah they're like the, breathing and moaning yeah of the couple they're not quiet and they're adopting what is happening between the two people and then danny in her grief and trauma of seeing what's happening she goes into another building and she goes through her own process of grief and and moaning and all the uh, women that are with her adopt her emotion. And right, so becomes, they're all kind of wailing in unison. Yeah, and it becomes this, again, this mania of like, it's almost like if you were looking in a mirror and there were 15 of you and <laughs> they were all doing the same exact thing as you. Mm-hmm. Um, but this like incredible extension of grief through everyone, you know, the idea that you never experience anything alone. When she lays down, they all come and like comfort her and touch her mm-hmm. and 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 then she starts crying and wailing and they all start crying and wailing with her as they're holding her and um there's just a sense there's a great sense that like the community has this is a very structured response to grief and trauma that they know what it's like and they have a systemic way of dealing with it mm-hmm. and there is i'm sure there's great comfort in in a sense of yeah. like if you are going through something that all these people literally are taking on your feelings and exactly they they got her at this really high moment and then immediately this really low moment and they're the ones that are there to kind of feed on that yeah essentially and yeah this is where 
they get hurt. Yeah, and it seems healthy, like, in the sense that they're they're not making her feel not bad. They're just allowing her to feel that grief. And, right, and, and they're showing her how her. valid it is by them all doing it together. I think that's, like, a really interesting aspect of it. And I think it's something that anthropologists often think other cultures do better than, like, Western Puritan-based cultures that suppress their emotions mm-hmm. or are taught to hide how they feel. The whole movie, she's been hiding her feelings. Right. If hiding she, them or explaining them away. If there, there are, I think, like, at least three scenes where she's going to have, like, an anxiety attack based yes. on her memories and feelings... And she goes away. She, mm-hmm. like, goes to hide and do that on her own. Right. And that's always, like, a dark, scary moment. But when she's got these people with her, it's bright and everyone's with her. And it's almost like there's more catharsis that comes from a bunch of people being like, we understand how you're feeling and we're all going to yeah. feel it with you and then we're going to move on. Absolutely. This movie is very cathartic yeah, in nature. Yeah, it's super cathartic. I think much like Hereditary, too. Mm-hmm. Um which brings us to, like, the true ending of the movie. Yes. Where she uh, has now been dubbed the, the May Queen, um, and she uh, they reveal that the ceremony that they're conducting ends with the sacrifice of nine human lives. Um, Many sort of, of which have already been either chosen or... Executed. Executed. Yeah. But they basically used all the outsiders for sacrifice. Yes. And then brought in others um and the idea is they give back to nature um a certain amount of lives to invest in the the deity of nature giving back to them so there's this strong sort of uh cyclical nature to everything that they do uh which you see in a lot of cultures uh ancient culture of the Mm -hmm. world yeah it's not it's not uncommon in theory no, it's not. Yeah. Um, but I will say, uh, having done like some research on this stuff, uh, just for fun in my life, that the the ceremony that they're doing is basically a real thing with like the nine human mm-hmm. sacrifices. But even in like Viking era times, it was like pretty uncommon. So this is like a very specific, like it's real, but it's very very specific. Even in a time when it was like normal-ish, uh, it was still within, like, smaller sects of, um, Viking culture and stuff, Norse culture, that you would see something as dramatic as, like, human sacrifice. Um, but, yeah, so they, nine human lives sacrificed, and she is compelled to choose, through order of the ceremony, um, the final, uh, sacrifice. Yeah. And they give her two choices, and... One is Christian, and the other is some guy that right. was part of the commune. So Christian is also, at this point, unable to move. He can see, but he cannot move or speak. So he's looking at Danny, um, standing next to the other possible sacrifice, and she has to choose between the two of them. So then we fast forward, <laughs> and we see who she chooses, which is Christian. Yeah, she's chosen Christian as her sacrifice. And Christian is still paralyzed by whatever substance they gave him. Uh, he's a, he's aware, but he can't do anything. He can't talk Which or is move. just a nightmare oh, in and just of itself. Horrifying. <laughs> just horrifying. And uh, they sew him into the corpse of a bear. 
and they put him in the building in which all the bodies are sacrificed, and they light it on fire. They just set it on fire. They just make a big old fire. <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. <laughs> yeah. So her reaction to this starts seemingly as sorrow and loss and pain, uh, and again the commune sort of takes on this sense of loss and pain and and uh, all this stuff. And then her feelings seem to change to one of maybe just placid acceptance and comfort. And she at least seems resolved that she did the right thing. Yeah, um, she doesn't look regretful. Maybe for a split second when that building goes on fire. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But... I think she's she's traumatized at the shock of what's happening, but right. she also, I think, knows she made the right decision. Now, again, this is a breakup movie. I think this is a really <laughs> this is a really important scene. This is where they break up. This is where they break up. <laughs> or it's at least I don't even know if it's where they break up, but it's at least the moment where she realizes the breakup was right. Right, um, right. She has gone through the process of remembering who she was, uh, remembering how valuable she is as a person, because this community showed her that there is life and and joy to be had um, from, like, getting in touch with yourself and from not restraining yourself constantly and feeling um, oppressed in just your daily life. And... Um, I think it's important that, like, even though uh, Pella sort of, like, kisses her after her crowning, they're clearly not... There's nothing overt saying that, like, they're a couple. No. Um, Christian didn't need to be replaced so much as she... The only person replacing him was herself. Uh, She remembered sort of what she was worth. She needed to replace the lack of emotional support. Yeah. But not necessarily... The boyfriend. Right. Pella, I think, was just showing her her own value. Right. Not being, not replacing a guy with another guy. Um, and I think the, the burning of the effigy of Christian is such an overt display of, like, that final moment when you're not holding on to the core of that person anymore. And you've truly moved on. Right. It was very symbolic. Yeah. I mean, it was literal and it was symbolic. Right, yeah. Um, so we then we end with just a shot of her face up close and she's smiling. Yeah. I think, again, it's a moment of catharsis. Yeah. And the, the score has swelled to this massive... Oh, yeah, and it's so good at the end. moment of, like... And it, it's so much like Hereditary. I mean, like, if you've seen Hereditary... My first comment was like, I wonder if all this movie is just going to end this way. Because like, it feels like the same. And that, that's not a, that's not a, not a criticism. criticism. I really, really like what he did with both of these movies, the way he ended them. Um, I love the way that both of them feel sort of like the antagonists are the victors. And they, like, it's a happy ending. It's just for the people you weren't expecting it to be for. And I think that catharsis really is the happiest that an ending can be is that full closure on everything that happens. And, you know, I think she, even though 
I don't know what the future would hold for Danny. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if she's ever going to go home. I don't think she can. She doesn't have anyone to go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's definitely, like, part of that opening could have been a setup for her to not need to return. And she has nothing there, and everything she needs is here now. But um, I think it's a movie about realizing when another person in your life is toxic that for your own sake uh, expelling that is like a really important part of finding who you are and you can lose yourself in trying to appease the wrong person and um, you can suppress yourself to the point of like forgetting who you even are and I think that she came to a more open realization of who she is through these extreme examples in this movie. Yeah, it's like a weird... It's about kind of like a self-realization and um, kind of this emotional journey that she's on. And it's a breakup movie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I think, like, she has her whole, like, crowning and everyone being so enthusiastic about her and everything is, like, her Yas Queen moment. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, I think she's her, realizing her own value. Her like, empowerment. Yeah, her her moment of empowerment and realizing I don't need a per, another person. Because, like, I think this commune can sort of be interpreted as the internal self. And they don't need to be there for you to go through this journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just an external representation of what's happening, I think, within her. And, you know, all the weird sort of perverse ceremonies we go through as individuals when we go through a breakup, I think this movie is sort of about that idea, the ritualization of, like, the breakup process. and It's kind of the manifestation of how catastrophic it all feels in the moment. Exactly. And it's so devastating to them, actually. Um, But internally, it is just as devastating to someone who goes through a breakup. Absolutely. I think there's so much. This movie is just about a lot of things. It is. I think you could really delve into a lot of it. Um, and we haven't even talked about the symbolism, which I don't want to get into. because There's so much there. There's so much there. There's also like the whole mental illness slant too, which I yes. think is definitely prevalent. Very much so. And super prevalent in Hereditary. I mean, like clearly, I think Ari Aster must have had a lot of experience with people with mental illness, maybe in his family. And I don't think he ever demonizes mental illness in either movie. Um, so much as, like, Hereditary, I think, was much about how damaging depression and bipolarism and mental health, mental illness can be on your life. I don't think he's trying to say, like, people who have it are actually demons and witches. Right. I think he's trying to say, like, it can make you lose everything. And I think that this movie definitely has, like, stuff about mental illness and bipolarism. Like, her sister's suicide slash murder of her patricide, too. And even just the way she did it. And the representation of, like, Danny feeling... You know, we get early on, there's a nightmare sequence. There are a few nightmare sequences in the movie. and, And Danny gets one where she wakes up, I think it's after the first time she's offered a sleeping pill by um, the guy who plays Cheaty in The Good Place. And um, she, her, in her dream, she wakes up, it's actually dark uh, for once. And 
all of the people that she went with are driving away and leaving her alone. Mm -hmm. Which is a very literal interpretation of a, I think, a pretty common fear, especially um, in people like her who are going through these stages of grief. I'm going to say grief like a million times during this. The movie is grief embodied. (laughs) Trauma, pain, all the stuff. Um, But it's you know, a very literal interpretation of that, just this fear of being left. Yeah. And and I think she's particularly scared of that isolation because she is without a family now. She's lost like everyone to this act of self destruction. And I think she's so afraid also of like going down a similar hole because she's genetically related to this person who did this thing. And I think that that fear is making her hold on to a relationship that if she were in a better place would know she didn't need or could find something better than. But instead she's trapped um, by her own fear of abandonment. And seeing everyone leave without her, I think it, it's one of the scariest things to her that could possibly be, is, is in, in spite of the fact that she just saw like gruesome violence, the, the truly scariest thing is just being alone and and the idea that she's not enough on her own to like provide herself with with joy and a full life and everything um but by the end of the movie i think that's turned around and she's sort of realized that she is enough and it's a beautiful thing as horrific as the movie is it's horrific and it's beautiful and it's a trip yeah it's a real trip. And I don't know about you, but I am planning my visit to Sweden immediately. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> want to be a part of that. Huge no, tourism booster. I imagine it will be. It's also just a beautiful, beautiful country. Uh, the landscape is so amazing. And I think... Um, I love that the movie starts with shots in winter. And then the whole movie takes place in the summer. Um, that transition, I think, is like... It's really special, and it speaks to the sort of metaphor of the life stages, too, and, um, you know, the idea that all the death of her family occurred in winter, um, in the winter stage or whatever, her parents passing, and then her sister passing prematurely. I don't know what that could mean. Maybe it means she was prematurely in the winter stage because of her mental health. Right. There's just, I think you could, I think film students will be dissecting this movie for decades yeah i think psychoanalysts will be too it's it's there's so much fertile ground here to unpack yes um but all in all super two thumbs up a plus plus i don't know how we're gonna rate these oh yeah we haven't really decided yeah we just say i liked it my rating system is really good thanks yeah Um, really good thanks definitely recommend definitely recommend not again you made an excellent point. This isn't for everyone. This is no. a movie for people who, first of all, have the stomach for, like, intense trauma in film. Sure. Um, if you don't like being stressed out for two and a half hours, if you don't feel like that's, like, a worthwhile experience, regardless of how good a movie is, mm-hmm. this isn't your movie. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, it's an art house horror film. Yeah, it that's is art house. Not everyone's bag, and that's okay. Yeah. But if it is yours. Yeah. I'd be surprised if you didn't like this one. Yeah, I would be too. Um, and there's definitely like a, uh, I should say there's a Wicker Man-esque vibe to it. Like if you like movies about pagan traditions, um, movies about like shocking sort of 
uh, you know, changes um, within these like cultures from something that seems benign into something that is truly horrific. Um, it's definitely a movie for you. Uh, and there's not a ton of movies within that genre, um, so it's always fun to get a new one, mm-hmm. especially one done so well. Uh, yeah. I will definitely be watching this movie again. Yeah, take your ex to go see it. Not you specifically, just anyone listening. Yeah, I just think. anyone <laughs> Take your ex and be like, we're good now. Yeah. yeah. You see this? We're good now. Um, yeah, it's definitely that kind of movie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Worth a second watch. Yes. I think there's a lot more we can pay attention to, but, um, yeah. Initial thoughts. Wanted to get them to you quick. Yes. All right. Well, that was our episode on Midsummer. Thank you for listening. And, uh, until next time. Weird flicks, but okay. <laughs>